First of all, ordination is not the call to ministry. All it does is it recognizes that this person has been called and it celebrates that. Just because we attach the word elder to Lindsay, it doesn't make it so. We're not making her a holy woman this morning or making Karen a holy woman this morning or we're not giving them a call to ministry. What we're doing is we're recognizing the call that they already had. And what we do this morning isn't going to cause them to be more fit and ready for ministry here. Uh, All we're doing is we're recognizing that God has been leading in their lives. And we're confirming that. We see that in them, both as individuals, as they've been called to serve in this church, but we see it in their giftedness, we see it in their fruitfulness. And uh, secondly, by ordaining Lindsay and installing Karen, we're not suggesting that uh, those of you who serve in ministry here at Water's Edge somehow, uh, or if you're visiting from another church where you serve in ministry as well, we're not suggesting that you're any less called by God to ministry. I want to underscore that your calling is just as valid as theirs is. It's just as worthy of honor as theirs is. And even though today we celebrate Lindsay's ordination as an elder and and Karen's installation as a worship leader, that doesn't exclude one single Christ follower in this room from seeing your vocation as a calling to serve God as well. And what I mean by that is I don't care if, if... Christ has you to be a truck driver or a homemaker or a doctor or a lawyer or an insurance agent or a TV actor or a nanny or an accountant or whatever. In one sense, every one of us in this room has been commissioned to ministry. God has you just where He wants you and, and you're there in order to make an impact for His kingdom at that place. So, what does it mean that we install Karen and that we ordain Lindsay? What's actually going on here this morning? Well, before the service is over, the elders and the pastors are going to gather around Lindsay, and we're going to place our hands on her, we're going to pray for her, we're going to officially recognize God's calling in her life. And that calling is to serve as an elder, and she's going to assume uh, some responsibility here. And I just want to say that I think there's some marks about that, and just very quickly touch them if you have your study notes, because they're described for us in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I want you to look, and for us to look at the who, the what, the how, and the why of God's calling. And these things should not only pertain to Karen and to Lindsay, but they should pertain to all of us as well. The first thing Paul tells Timothy here is, who you are, character-wise, is foundational to your success in serving God. Paul says, age has nothing to do with it. Timothy, don't you let anybody look down on you because you're a young man. Gender has nothing to do with it. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek. He says, these spiritual gifts are not distributed by whether or not you're a man or a woman. Instead, Paul says, you be an example. And how do you do that? In your speech? Be an example in your life, you know, your habits and your lifestyle. Be an example in your love, meaning your consideration for others. Be an example in your faith. And here's how he uses faith. He's not talking about faith towards God, but about your trustworthiness, about your faithfulness, about your loyalty. 
Be an example in your purity. In Scripture, purity is not just a moral consideration. What it means is to be genuine, to be the same thing through and through, to be authentic. See, Paul's challenge to Timothy is one of character. Character is of the first and utmost importance in a spiritual leader. And in the opening chapters of his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey explains how he came to write that book in the first place. He says he was doing a research project, and he was trying to read success literature from the last 200 years. He scanned over 100 books. He read essays and articles on leadership, and his conclusion was that success literature over the last 50 years is extremely superficial compared to the earlier stuff. He discovered that the most recent literature on the subject is filled with topics like public image, consciousness, techniques, management skills, quick fixes in business. But Cubby writes, and I quote, in stark contrast, the older literature focused on character. Covey says people used to believe that the foundation of one's success was his or her integrity or their humility, their courage, their patience, their justice, their industry. That's exactly what Paul's telling Timothy. And let me just say, Lindsay and Karen, not just to you, but to every Christ follower in this room, it doesn't matter how gifted or dynamic or smart you are, God can't really use us unless... We become men and women of character. Warren Wiersbe is a well-known retired pastor and author. And in his book called Walking with Giants, he writes this, Before God works through a man or woman, he works in a person. Because the work that we do is the outgrowth of the life that we live. And then Wiersbe adds, Jesus spent 30 years preparing for three years of ministry. God prepares us for what he is preparing for us. Robert Murray McShane is a great preacher from the previous century. And he left a tremendous impact on colonial America. He said this, It is not great talents God blesses so much as likeness to himself. You know, over the years I've been asked occasionally, uh, now that I'm 61, but I've been in ministry for almost 40 years, what the toughest part of the job of being a pastor is. I don't have to think twice about the answer. My biggest challenge in ministry is seeing to it that personally I'm prepared to be used by God. You know, in my case, that takes a lot of work. I've discovered that I am the greatest liability to myself. God has got to work it out in your character before he can use you ministry-wise. And let me just add that there is no suitable or substitute, no substitute for the regular scrutinizing of your life under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's through prayer and being in God's Word. Lindsay and Karen, the who is the character, the person that God is making you to be. And the what of ministry is God's Word. You know, that's the tool of our trade. Uh, when, when, let me reread verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to teaching, or to preaching and to teaching. By the way, reading is self-explanatory, but preaching carries with it an idea of exhortation challenging people to apply God's word to their lives. And teaching is the same word in the Greek where we get the word doctrine. Paul's telling Timothy, you make sure that people you're leading know what they believe. Make sure that they've got a good idea of basic theology. Karen, you'll have to do that as you pick songs every week for us. And as you select scripture that threads the worship together, either on the screen or in your transitions. 
And Lindsay, not only as you teach, but as you scrutinize my teaching, which is one of your job descriptions, you know, to make sure that this church gets sound doctrine from the pulpit. But listen, if we're called by God to minister in any ministry of this church, we all need to major on this book. Whether you're a children's ministry volunteer or a small group leader or a sound person or a worship team leader or a setup crew or a takedown crew or a mission team member, whether you're on the operations team, you're an adult ministry leader, or you're Karen or you're Lindsay or you're Bill, we've all got to immerse ourselves in this book and then we've got to teach it and apply it to our lives. Paul warns Timothy in his second letter, 2 Timothy 4, that people might not stand for doctrinal teaching. Pick it up at verse 2. Preach the word, he says, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, you... Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of evangelists, and discharge all the duties of your ministry. So don't duck, Timothy, is what he's saying. You've got a responsibility to be faithful to God's Word. And Lindsay and Karen, I know you already know this, but I want to make sure that everyone who calls Water's Edge, their church also knows this, and that every believer knows this, that if you want to be used by God to impact other people's lives, you've got to be a student of God's Word. I love it when someone comes up to me and tells me they just bought their first study Bible that has footnotes and introduction to the books and that they're starting to understand the historical setting. The prophet Amos said in Amos 8.11, he was complaining that in his time there was a famine among believers. And he said, it is not a famine of food or of thirst of water for water but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. People just aren't hungry for it. There's no appetite. And may that never be true for you or me. And may that never be true for us. And then number three, since you're called by God, Lindsay and Karen, here is the how of your ministry. The who is your character, the what is God's word, the how is the total effort, is a total effort. And I think this is the best way I can sum up these verses. In fact, as I read to you verses 14 through 16, I want to encourage all of you, if you have your pen, to just underline a word or phrase that suggests wholeheartedness or zeal or 100%. He says, do not neglect. I'll give you the first one. There it is. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through the prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. We don't have time to look at every one of those in detail. But I just want you to note one expression in verse 15. It says, let everyone see your progress. William Barclay He has a graphic picture in his commentary on this. He says it's like cutting your way through a jungle or forest where there's never been a path before and you can look back and now you can see that path. Serving God is hard work. Giftedness will not carry you very far in ministry unless you're willing to work hard. I I hope you understand my spirit here. Folks sometimes will say to me, uh, you know, I, I stand up here for 30 minutes or... 40 at a crack, and, and occasionally someone will comment, they'll say, man, you really got a gift for what you do. 
And without taking any away from that gift, I'm tempted to reply, it's a lot of hard work. It's hours and hours and hours in the study and writing and rehearsing. And I'm not saying that to boast and I'm not saying that to complain. Because that can be said of every person who's serving God in this congregation effectively. If you're doing whatever it is that you're doing for the Lord well and you're enjoying some fruit in it, I guarantee you it's because you've been diligent and wholehearted and you're progressing and you're persevering. Conversely, let me say that if you're not sensing God and is using you in a productive way, it may be that you're not willing to pay the price of hard work. A famous football coach once flattered at a press conference, a reporter said to him, you've really instilled in your team the will to win. And the coach looked at the reporter and he said, I wouldn't give a nickel for the will will to win on game day. What really counts is the will to prepare. And the will to go out there day after day after day and practice and practice and work on it. Karen and Lindsay, this is a high calling. It's not just an extracurricular activity. Serving the Lord Jesus Christ. It deserves your wholehearted effort. And not only from you, but from every one of us as well. Wherever God leads you, go for it all the way. And I thank God for those people in our church who literally have never given up on ministry. May that continue to be a mark of this church. Karen, I don't know you well enough to comment on this. But Lindsay, I know you well enough to comment that nobody embodies that more than anybody. That perseverance. And finally, the last half of verse 16, Paul says, because if you do this, if you work hard and you give this your complete attention, you will save yourself and those who hear you. Now, the word save in Scripture implies more than leading people to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It often refers to the whole process from conversion right on through spiritual growth and into eternity. You know, I'm saved from the penalty of sin, and then I'm being saved from the power of sin, and I will be saved from the presence of sin. But, having said that, I have no doubt that Paul is trying to make a major emphasis here that saving people in the sense of introducing them and leading them to Christ is what he's talking about. And the reason I say that is because in the next letter to Timothy, chapter 4, verse 5, Paul's very careful to point out to Timothy that you may be a pastor, but he says part of your responsibility is seeing to it that lost people come to know Christ. And I want to say to every Christ follower in this room this morning... No matter what your ministry, part of your job description is leading lost people to the Savior. Warren Wiersbe, again in his book, he gives an admission in his biography. He says, after being a pastor for a number of years, I was invited to go to Europe with a youth group that was going to share Christ in a series of outreach events. I realized that I lacked holy boldness. These kids were creative and passionate about reaching lost people. And then he admitted that he had been excusing his lack of evangelism by saying to himself, Well, you know, I'm a pastor. My job is to equip people for ministry, to nourish spiritual growth in already committed believers. Men and women who truly want to serve God have a heart for reaching lost people. So don't say it's not your ministry. Don't say it's not a gift. Don't say it's not your temperament. A genuine love for unbelievers will find lots of ways to express itself. For some, it will be setting up and taking down. For some, it will be holding babies in the nursery. 
For some, it will be stuffing bulletins and, and passing them out. For some of you, it's, it's going over budgets and, and making sure that we have a proper insurance. And, and for some of you, it's planning a woman's event or a Super Bowl party outreach. But I just want to quickly add that it's part of the reward as well. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, to people who he had the privilege of leading to Christ, he says, you know what I'm really going to get excited about when I see Jesus? Being surrounded by people who came to know the Savior through my witness. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and our joy. And that's what makes ministry worth it. God bless both of you. Let's pray. And our Father, this is high-octane stuff. And it should be because Paul was writing to someone who he wanted to be intense about his calling to ministry. And I pray for every man and woman in this congregation, not just Lindsay and Karen, but for every Christ follower who is truly called by you to, to make a mark of ministry in this world, and that the truths of what we've talked about would seep seep deeply into them, that they would be people of character, that we would be people who love your word and saturate our lives with it, and that we would be people who have a heart for spiritually lost folks. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.